4: features some rather strong and fruity language so if you're listening around children you might want to pop your headphones on And welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is Small Screen Royalty, a broadcaster, actress and best-selling author who's been a fixture and a friend in our living rooms for over 40 years now. She cut her professional teeth in the 80s as a news presenter on regional television before network programming came calling as the host of Breakfast Time, Britain's first national breakfast news show then came ready steady cook before she settled onto the this morning sofa where she resided for 10 glorious years and while she's effortlessly at home on screen doing lifestyle items she's never lost her journalistic nous. and famously got tony blair to admit in an interview that he would have invaded iraq even without evidence of weapons of mass destruction a mother to four now grown-up children she relocated to cornwall in recent years which is where she set all of her many best-selling novels In the county she now calls home. But this year, she stepped away from the keyboard to host Channel 5's revival of Watercolor Challenge, which is storming in the ratings, putting her back in her professional home where she has been living for so long now daytime television. So let's dial her up. It's Fern Britain. Hello, my darling. Evening, Cornwall. How are you? <laughs> this is, it's like regional Eurovision.
1: It is. <laughs> oh, how lovely to see you, though. Really good to
4: see you. Uh, I was trying to work out what number uh, you're at in, in terms of novels published, because there's short stories, collections of stories.
1: I think it, this is number 10, this one.
4: Fun. did you ever think that you would be writing novels in double digits?
1: Never. Never thought I'd write um a, a novel because it's huge. Yes, I've I've learned my journalism. I became um you know, what, what is it called when you when you join up and you learn from the people you're with? You're an apprentice. So I started really as an apprentice yeah. in newsrooms and you get it. You know, people say, oh, well, you didn't go to university. No, I didn't go to university and I didn't do any journalism courses. But I did live in a newsroom for 12, 13 years. So I guess I've got it now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I did that and loved and when it. And where you
4: started out, regional, regional newsrooms were a big thing, weren't they? I mean, we don't, it's not a th- it's not so big a deal now, but that was where the likes of you and I could go and learn our trade. Absolutely. And every region had a buzzing newsroom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they were great fun. And back in the 80s, you're too young, but I'm, you might have just caught the end of this. We were still on ordinary typewriters bashing away a great big room just as you'd expect with everyone smoking and you stood up and you went into a cloud of nicotine smoke <laughs> and everyone bashing with the typewriters and running around shouting you gotta go get yeah, oh fire engine going down you know and all those things um and it was quite brutal I mean some of the male journalists reporters were quite packed with testosterone and there'd be punch ups and people rowing and mm. and of course a great drinking culture. Um everyone was in the pub at lunchtime. Yeah. Uh not me necessarily sometimes but not necessarily uh playing um golden brown endlessly on the jukebox in the pubs so I remember that <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd go in and finish a show, go on air at six, finish at half past six, straight into the bar. And if there was anybody who didn't like what you'd made that day, the film you'd made. Where You'd be absolutely slaughtered and told it's terrible and you'd be wanting to cry, but you're a woman. So you go, I see, I understand. And then at the end of the show, when you're all in the bar, everyone goes, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. So you think, oh, you learn very quickly not to take things personally, which is a big benefit.
4: Especially for the life that then followed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to come back to some of, well, hopefully some of your early days, uh, as a, as a professional. But, um, I just wanted to touch on where we are right now because you've got watercolor challenge on, which is just about as pretty as a picture can ever be on telly. I mean, some of the places you've gone to
1: are just gorgeous, aren't they? The United Kingdom is full of the most beautiful places. And because we live here, we don't necessarily go and see them. But I think during these last couple of years, we Mm. have looked at our own countryside and discovered that we do have splendid things or things that we thought, I'd really like to go there. But you don't. Now you think, actually, yes, I will go there.
4: Do you ever miss the the manic pace of life of, of five days a week on live telly, London traffic, school runs? I mean, the chaos.
1: Hmm. That was very much a part of me. So a part of me does uh, miss that. And when I do go to London, I'm quite excited. Um, and then it's also just wonderful to come here. I mean, this is the first time in a week, at least, that I've put some makeup on for you. Now, normally I haven't got makeup on for about a month, but I've had a couple of these recently. So I'm like, Oh, good Lord, I've got to put my face on. <laughs>
4: It's, um, I mean, gosh, as juxtapositions go, it's, you couldn't be at a more extreme end of having to get into the hair and makeup chair, production meetings every morning, you know, that's, yeah, I mean, I don't think I could run at that pace again, I'll tell you, too old. Mm,
1: Well, I think, um, I don't think it's age, I think it's experience that lets you know that even though that's exciting and brilliant and great, I'm over it, I've done it. it. And it's right, it's nature, you know, saying, hey... Look back. Mm. Just stop for a minute. Look back of what you've achieved, because when you're achieving it, you have no time at all to look at it. Have a look now and think, hmm, that was okay, actually. Yeah, that was all right. Mm. Uh, and then I'm looking forward very much now to the next. Goodness knows what the next chapter is, but yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, it's good.
4: That is beautifully queued up. My first question to you. Um, in fact, couldn't have been a better segue. Fun. Are you ready? Oh. I wanted to ask you about chapters. Um, Authors work in chapters, um, but for you, I wanted to know which of your own chapters in life have been the most meaningful?
1: There's probably about three that are the big ones. I think my teenage years were a huge chapter because um, I... I grew up very quickly, and I was very independent very early, because I grew up with just my mum and my sister, and uh, my father mm. had remarried and had a son. And I didn't know that I had a brother until I was about fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, something like that.
4: Wow, that's that's um
1: that's a hell of a secret to keep. How how did he keep that a secret? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of people kept secrets at that time because I grew up not knowing my father. I knew who he was, and he would occasionally be able to visit. Mm. But I just imagined he was um, out filming and working and being a, an actor in the theatre, and that's why we I couldn't see him. Um, I didn't realise that he'd le- left and was uh, remarried and and have my my brother. Uh, And But nobody told me. I don't know why they didn't. And it it wasn't until, I've told this story before, but it's still only about eight years ago that my father told me what happened. He had left my mother and my sister and then he came back to see mummy and my sister, fell into bed with my mother, disappeared very shortly after, I don't know whether it was the evening or the next day, and had started me, and nobody told me. That's why I hadn't ever lived with him. So that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? So um, when he was in his when he was in his eighties, he told me, and uh, I said, "Well, that explains it all." But nobody else had ever told me. So anyway, cut a long story short. Uh, why not? Why? I mean, surely that was. That was a key piece of your own
4: life jigsaw. You would have thought somebody might have imparted that sooner.
1: None of them. I did ask, I did tell my mother when I found out. And I said, why (laughs) on earth didn't you tell me? And she said, well, you know, we didn't talk about that sort of thing. And I said, but it's my history. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, you and your history. (laughs) So I think it was obviously a very painful time for her. So when we talk about childhood, actually, you're still piecing
4: parts of it together, even at this stage in life, right? Well,
1: yes, absolutely. So the, my young days are still very much present and I'm putting it together. But I think but, yeah. but, but, <laughs> growing up, um, I I was a very independent child because... I only had my mother as a parent and my sister, and I had a fantastic uncle and aunt and lovely people around me. Um, but I, I became very independent because nothing much was really expected of me. Um, my stepfather turned up when I was about nine or 10, I think. And then I was really launched into, okay, I'm a separate entity now. My mother has my stepfather, my sister is was in London, and um, I was just sort of bumbling about getting on with school. And then I got into drama school to be a stage manager, which was incredible. And I got in and I had two wonderful years there. And I had a boyfriend I fell in very much in love with. And he was the first person to tell me that he loved me. No one else had ever mentioned that before. And he said, I love you. And I went, oh, so I was 17, 18, in love with this guy, Naughty Nick, who knows jolly well. And his daughters even say to him nowadays, apparently, that he's, you know, heartbreaker, which he was. <laughs> And um, then I was off into
4: the theatre. <laughs> Is that right? Wow! So, but I mean, you laugh about it now, but that, those are all big experiences for a young mind. The first, your first strike out of independence—you know, doing a job that you love and falling in love—and and actually hearing that somebody loves you for the first time—that's a long time to be alive without anybody putting that in your ear.
1: Yeah, it blew me away absolutely, and uh, I. I it was, a, it was absolutely a door into a different set of feelings it was very good although i mean of course you know it's heartbreak and all that because you're young um and but then by then i was i'd done my training as a stage manager and i got a job in the theatre and i'd got my equity card and off i went and was um stage managing around the country for two or three years and then when i was 22 i think I've got my first job in television. So that was that was a big chunk of kind of school, growing up, drum school. Oh, first mm. job in television. So that's a big
4: chapter. That's a huge chapter. I mean and and actually so much of what you learned then still informs you now, because you and I toured together on the Strictly Come Dancing Tour and one of my first observations of you was that you just wanted to hang with the crew. Uh, you know, you weren't, you weren't hanging out with the cast so much as you just had a natural affiliation with what everybody's jobs were backstage and how they were getting done. And in the end, you even started traveling uh, on some of the production buses rather than the dancers' buses.
1: <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. I was very much a part of the tribe of the crew and the band. And um they were so much fun. I mean, the band, yeah, the bus, band, you, the band you love. Yes. Didn't you? And we get on the band bus. I mean, gosh, we, we did this big Strictly tour. It was hilarious, Kate, and I loved it. And you were so kind because I was missing my sons and I was sobbing backstage when I was missing them. You were missing your son. And um, there were all sorts of things, weren't there? So thinking, yep. it's an emotional thing to go off on tour for five weeks and think that you're a rock star. Uh, wish we were treated like rock stars, weren't we? Absolutely wonderful. The first night I, I got onto the band bus I said excuse me can I get on with you lot and they went ha ha well it's only taken you five days but you're on our bus and they're so um <laughs> they're so so very good at everything there was somebody carving a handmade artisan sourdough and someone producing some homemade cheese and a nice <laughs> little chutney and a bottle of Malbec and <laughs> it was uh, you know different to the dancers who who were just Funny, hilarious. Um, But um, yeah, I just felt better on the band
4: bus. So you have this intensely informative burst of activity in your late teens into your early 20s. So that's one chapter of of great meaning. What about the other two that you mentioned? Uh,
1: I think obviously having children. So I think having um, my twin boys was something miraculous because they were IVF and it was my fourth go and I was already ready about to go I can't manage anymore because anyone who's been through IVF knows that those drugs and the routine and the the enormity of lifting your hopes and dashing yourself and it's it's extreme to say the least and um, I got good at doing my own injections Uh, carrying my handbag constantly bags of needles and things with a letter from the doctor explaining what they all were um it's it's very tough expensive tough and oh you know difficult but i was so lucky to have the boys Mm. and i got the boys and then um, when they were about three um i discovered i was pregnant And uh, you know, miracle, you can't be. Uh, And I thought, well, yes. So uh, I had this beautiful little girl, Gracie. You you met Grace, I think. So Harry and Jack are the boys. Then Gracie. Then, unfortunately, my marriage broke up um, when she was five months. So that was a tricky one. So I had um, a year of yeah, had a year of of really digging deep. That's
4: so hard.
1: Yeah, but at the time, you know... So you've
4: got toddlers and newborn hormones and heartbreak.
1: But then a year later, I met Phil. And um, we were married after a year. So it's two years since Winnie, uh, Gracie was born. And then the Last Chance Saloon, <laughs> I always say it's... Uh, Late night shopping just before the doors closed. <laughs> Winnie arrived, <laughs> so um that was exciting. Uh. And then we had Winnie, and then the whole—that's uh, a whole chunk. And then, then, and I was doing this morning by then. So when Winnie was born, that's mm. a whole other story. I'll tell you about that. What, the, I mean, it was when Richard and Judy had left, I was pregnant. She was due in September. The show went off air as it used to for the summer. And then my boss said, well, you've got to come back. Mm-hmm. I said, well, she's not, she's, she's going to be born in September and you go on air in September. And, you know, I'm 44. I can't just turn up. And he said, well, if there's, you know, if you don't, <laughs> no. if you don't come, then there's no job for you. And I went, well, sorry, then my time is, that's bad timing. But no, I can't, I can't just turn up at work having just had another baby. no. Anyway, after a few months, there was a bit of a disaster going on this morning and they didn't have the right presenters. And um, then I was telephoned again.
4: Was this Twiggy and Colleen?
1: Mm. Mm. And I don't think they had a very happy time. Yeah. And then John Leslie came in and then, uh he rang me up and he said, oh, you've got to come back because we had been working together before. And um, so I said, I don't think I can anyway. The bosses rang and said, would you do it? And I said, well, I'm going to have to come with Winnie every day because I'm feeding her and she can't be without me. And can you help me, somebody to look after her while we're on air? So they said, yes, that's fine. So then I just did it. You know, she, I did that for a year and um, <laughs> it was fun because she had a picture taken with so many people in the green room. This little baby. <laughs> yes, yeah, she, she did. did, and she would. She'd sleep and eat, and I'd feed you know, her. Yeah, feed her in commercial breaks, and on on talkback. Sometimes I'd hear, um, and I'm interviewing something, doing an important interview, and they go, Fun, just nod. Is the cowpole in the bag? Is the cowpole in the bag?
4: <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: like,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: Brilliant. I mean, I mean that, my friend, is tap dancing your way through motherhood at the most extreme end. Uh, wow! But you know what, Fern? Isn't it interesting that when you first say, "I can't come uh, in September because I'm having a baby," it's like, well. Take it or leave it. It sounds like there wasn't a huge amount of empathy or let's look at this or how can we work this out? How progressive would it be uh, for us to wait for you and for you to come back? And actually that become part of the narrative because it reflects so many viewers' experiences at home as stay-at-home or part-time working or full-time working mothers. Yeah. But then look at how the how the attitude changed when they needed you. How can we help? Do you want a nanny? We'll give you, you know, we'll ask questions about Calpol on Talkback. <laughs> I mean... Why could they not have just done that in the first place?
1: Because the programme bosses were men. And I'm I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not a man-hater. I love, but I am a feminist. I'm not a man-hater. People seem to equate feminism with Mm man-hating. It's not that, as we know. It's not that. But they were guys. And uh, this particular one, he said, I said, well, also, unfortunately, I'm 44 and the other two pregnancies I had, Sorry to be so graphic. I had to have caesarean, and I know that this baby is going to be born by caesarean. So I won't be able to sort of do anything for the first six weeks anyway. Oh, my wife was uh, driving after two or three weeks. And I said, Oh, was she? And uh, how old is she? Like, you know, 30. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose you've got an automatic car? Oh, yes. I went, well, I haven't. <laughs> you know, different, different. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Do you know what's the shame about it though is that you proved but because because they needed you you proved that it can work if everybody comes together and provides solutions yes. rather than just sitting around talking about potential problems. Yes. But what a shame that it had to be done that way. But thank goodness that you were there to show the way. Well, I don't I know. don't get it because Richard and Judy, I mean, the whole family thing was huge. It was a massive part of the on-screen narrative as well. Well, it's 20 years ago
1: for a start, you know. And so it was wow. a long time ago when <laughs> things hadn't moved as fast as they have now. And I accepted it because mm-hmm. I've never... In general, I don't think I've ever been a pain in the ass to work with. I just kind of go, oh, okay, whatever.
4: So, I mean, that was a very action-packed few years, um, to say the very least. IVF, twins, uh, closely followed by a miracle baby, followed by a very swift end to your marriage, a recalibration, a new TV show. You meet Phil on the set, along comes Winnie, and Richard and Judy vacate the seats that you think you can't take, but turns out you can Oh, I'm exhausted. You must have been knackered.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting, you know. <laughs> but, but everything <laughs> has also been. <laughs> it's. I wouldn't. Um. I. In lots of ways, I wouldn't change it because it does. It does teach you a lot about yourself, a lot about your capacity mm-hmm. to, to work without sleep under enormous pressure, um, dealing with. With yourself, as well as a family, as well as, as well as the press, as well as, and so I very much, um, I very much felt that I could put that person, that woman, onto a television screen. She had nothing to do with me in my life, and then I could go home and be me. <laughs> Have you had that experience?
4: Um, yes, until I started in daytime television, and then I felt like there was kind of nowhere to hide. Um So I just kind of, I started to very slowly. It took me a long time to open up and share what actually really was my life. And I think it was when I had, I kind of, I couldn't host a show like, for example, Loose Women and not explain because the chats were so personal and the topics were so varied and not sort of say, hey, guys, guess what? I'm actually not in a relationship anymore. I'm a single parent. My life's changed a lot. And because it informed so much of, of what we were talking about. Um, and then I learned to kind of just actually stop trying to be one of two people and just sort of blurred the two. And it felt a lot easier, actually, a lot more honest.
1: Yes. Well, I'm there now. I've, I'm have i blended and I'm one person again. But I think it was just the only way I could deal with it was to, when you go to work and you have your face mm-hmm. put on and your hair and everything else, that person doesn't have any problems She can be honest and everything else, but doesn't have problems. I was told very, very, very early on, and I have been doing this for 42 years now. Crazy. (laughs) Um, But very early on, someone said to me, never complain about your life on air, because as far as the viewers are concerned, Mm -hmm. you are in Hollywood la-la land, and they are having difficult lives. Yes, that's exactly it. So, you know, Mm. there's no point. But now I'm I'm older and uh, I'm contented. And so I think, yeah, I can say these things now. I feel that I'm allowed to. I've given myself permission to. And there's no one telling me, oh, don't tell them that. Don't tell them this. Sod it. Here I am telling you.
4: (laughs) It's funny, though, because, you know, to me, growing up watching you on shows like that, as I was coming into my early part, part, the early phase of my career, I thought you were disarmingly honest and it's only knowing you as I do now that I know that actually you were literally tickling the surface of what was going on in your life. When you showed great empathy to people struggling with mental health issues, I didn't know the depths of your own experiences. I didn't know that you, you know, had struggles with IVF. So there was so much you gave, but so much that you didn't. And it never felt like we were being kept out of what was going on in Fern's world. Oh,
1: well, that's nice. That's nice. But, uh, you know, also... The very important thing, as you know as well, is it to be um a real presenter uh, uh, in terms of that that kind of show, loose women this morning, those kind of shows you are not the star, the person, the story is the star, and I always wanted every guest to be comfortable to know that their story has been told they've been able to tell their story. properly properly, fully been listened to um and heard Mm. and that was the most important thing and is the most important thing i can't bear it you know i i couldn't bear it then i can't bear it now when all the programs for the national television awards they're all oh you must vote for us vote for us vote for us you think how embarrassing is that i couldn't bear to do that people are going to vote for you if they like it it. or not (laughs) Oh, no. What would be, why would I go, why would I, I'm not canvassing. We're not prime minister. It's just to get a silly statue. Oh, <laughs> just hang on a minute. Oh, like okay. this. <laughs> <laughs> she says getting her NTA. <laughs> yes. Which one's well, that I mean, for? And I'll tell you, well, I tell you, actually, this is for this morning. And um, it's not, it's not the one I picked up. <laughs> Uh, Rich and Judy You'd left. Grab one. Um, they get. They gave it to me. the the The, the bosses said, here, have this one because it was just sitting on a shelf." The editor said, and so I went to the jewellers and I got the thing changed. <laughs> 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 so you Literally repurposed yeah, saw it.
4: it. That's brilliant. Oh, yes. I'm impressed. You. Do you know what? You're so right. You know what? For all the times that we won NTAs or BAFTAs on the shows that I worked on. Yeah. I haven't got a single one. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I mean, why would I? It was for the show, but it would be nice to have something to reflect your involvement. You're quite right. Well stolen, my friend.
0: Thank you.
4: Okay, are you ready for your next question? I am ready. Watercolour Challenge sees you um, gather a bunch of very talented people and push them to their limit to show the very best of themselves. You are not uh, shy of a challenge yourself. So I wanted to know, when have you ultimately pushed yourself to achieve bigger and better things?
1: Yeah, we do push them on on Watercolour Challenge and they're great. But um, I think two things. I think career-wise writing, you choose which one I, I can talk about career was writing, and both. Okay, my own life, cycling, uh, because I did manage to cycle from well around the world. We did lots and lots of cycles, raised an awful lot of money uh, for Professor Winston for his. Um, you know, he he runs IVF mm-hmm. clinics. Although I didn't have my IVF with him, but um, we've been doing everything into we, we gave a lot of money, raised a lot of money for his. Research into everything to do with mother and baby health, from conception to birth, including um, miscarriage—the mystery of miscarriage—and I said I really want to put together a challenge. And the lovely woman at the at the charity, Yvonne Konychna, she took me and she went, "Yeah, okay." And she fixed it. So we cycled from John O'Groats to Land's End. Uh, there were 20 of us who did the whole lot and lots of women joined us for different legs and we raised, I don't know, a quarter of a million, half a million or something. And um, it went to use in a um, study that scientists were doing on miscarriage. And um, so they, you know, we helped a little way into the mystery of that, to solve that. But cycling all that way is 1100 miles and it was wonderful. Really
4: wonderful. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it is one of the most underfunded uh, parts of medical research miscarriage. As I mean, so much, so much to do with female sexual health is massively underfunded, but that specifically, to this day, remains the case. So yeah. whatever contributions you made would have really, really yeah. pushed to make a
0: difference.
1: For well, her. that project that, that the charity needed to, to get going on at Warwick University, they only needed 32,000. So we would have helped them a lot. Oh. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. That's brilliant. And you used to cover this on the
4: telly, didn't some you? Of it would them you know, I, I remember seeing you. Were you doing this morning then? Yeah,
1: no, I wasn't. But some of them, the, they did cover. And uh, we got so many women to come and join me at uh, us, the charity. Um, mm. I was patron by then. And we, we just went everywhere. So we've been everywhere. We went through India, uh, China, Russia, um, Estonia, we went from Panama into Costa Rica, into Nicaragua, we went to Cuba, we went to, I mean, everywhere I've been cycling and and doing it in your 40s and 50s. I didn't do um, backpacking and all of having a year out, Then we did it, and it was so much fun, and I forged great friendships with these women, because when you're on a bike and you're very hot and sweaty, and midges are biting you, and you've got the shits, and you're throwing up, Mm. Um, you don't half forge a friendship. (laughs) And none (laughs) of us would have met if it wasn't, because if we weren't just mad enough to go and sleep on concrete floors of cow sheds and sleep in You know, we were, it's no way is it um, a glamorous ride, none of that. But it was, God, it was great. And just to get out and be yourself. And the women who had come off a trip, Particularly, uh, Jonagretts to Lands End. As you were cycling down through the UK, they start talking about their relationships and their husband and this and this and this. Well, they end up divorced and going for somebody else at the end of it. I mean, one lady got to got to Lands End, took off her wedding ring, threw it into the sea, went right because it brings you back to who you are—the yeah. woman that you lost when you were married and had children you you buried your, it's your fault you know we bury ourselves in domestic life because we're good at it and we want to do it and suddenly you come out of that with a group of women swearing and drinking gin and tonics and having a great <laughs> time on their bikes all none of us looking like cyclists it, amazing the professional male cyclists who come with us going I don't know how you do it you know um and you become yourself again
4: you're right. You know, I, I I did a similar. I did one bike ride, nothing quite to the scale that you you've um, just recounted there. But I cycled through Kerala with twenty two friends in memory of a friend, a girlfriend of ours that had passed away, Nikki Waterman, and um, it was one of the most brutal and physically challenging adventures I've ever had. I but I loved it, Fern. My God, it hurt. Anyway, by the end of the trip, there were a lot of women going. I'm leaving my husband. I'm going back to work. I, my life has got to change because when you're just, when you can't speak because you can't breathe because you're so out of breath, you're forced to go in and look at yourself and have a think. And it is it's it's proper therapy. It is.
1: It's very therapeutic indeed. And yes, I've done that Kerala ride as well. Um, she says, and it's gorgeous. Oh, it's did you amazing. go right up into the tea mountains? Yeah. And, and there's the one long one day when you're just oh going long, yeah. long, 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 long downhill, and I just screaming. all the way screaming. Yes, it's the most exhilarating, isn't yes, it? Yes, we did that, <laughs> and we did yeah exactly Egypt. that. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember. Oh, Sri Lanka, we did. I mean, traveling truly does open the mind, doesn't it? It makes you really look at how other Mm. people live and also it's very handy on quiz shows because you can think oh yes I can think of a country that's only got an E and an A in it because I've been there (laughs) (laughs) because I've
4: cycled through it (laughs) so I really I love what you got from cycling and it came at a time in your life when you were just like you know your kids were old enough for you to be able to go off and do some of those things and start to reclaim some of yourself um but what about in terms of the, the challenges that you've presented yourself with professionally, becoming a novelist. I mean, there must have been a lot of eye rolling when you went, and oh, now I'm going to write a book <laughs> because everyone does. Yeah, it.
1: no. It, well, it didn't happen like that. Good. I um, <laughs> just before. Well, as I was leaving this morning, uh, I was writing my autobiography. And so that came out and did very well, which was very nice. Thank you and uh it was easy to write on one hand because at least you know (laughs) the facts (laughs) and where things went and when it happens um but then uh, a publisher came to me and said would you write a novel and i went i don't think so um and she said well look just work with this other editor work together and she will teach you and take you through so i sat with this other fantastic woman and i said well she said what do you want to write about and it was all that you know write what you know so we wrote about television and um i'd write a few chapters and send them off to her and then she'd come back and well i think that Diane, you shouldn't have that and put this and to backs and forwards backs and forwards for i don't know how many months it was probably six months and uh it went out and did okay and then I was told to go on the second novel. Right, you've got this now. No more hand holding. Off you go. Write your own one. And uh, it's hard to write a hundred thousand words. Hundred thousand words is about four hundred pages. Blimey! Yeah. And um, because you're yeah. so used to fact checking, trying to get the facts right, no lazy journalism. Mm. I, I'm very, I've tried very hard not to be a lazy journalist. And um, so. Suddenly I'm not fact checking and you get lost. You think, well, I, I need to know when her birthday is and why she, oh, hang on. Yes, it's her wedding anniversary. That's why they're there. Of course, you know, and start making it up. And um, it's gone yeah. okay. It's just, so and then I wrote another two and then it carried on. And number 10, I'm just finishing now. It'll be out in June, July. Blimey, Fern. Yeah. And the last one I did actually made wow. number one. So something is happening. And so I think the, you're asking me what's the greatest achievement. I think it's starting way down and then giving myself the time and the confidence to, and being given also by the publishers, the time and the confidence to work out how to write a better book and a better book. I'm not saying I'm Jane Austen, but I'm getting better.
4: You know what? I mean, it's a very different discipline as well because you've spent your life being part of a team. You know, even when you sit and as, as the solo presenter of a programme, you're still representing a team that are working really hard. You're, you're a cog in the chain. When you write a novel, I mean you could be at the top of that mountain in Kerala freewheeling down that hill because there's no one else to catch you and and what you do along the way is entirely down to you. So I can understand you having to unpick that fact-checking journalism, working with the facts and having to sort of almost sort of shake those off as rules yes. and reinvent new yeah. ones.
1: Yes, and truly make it up as you go along. And it's been it's been a wow. joy, an absolute joy and the hardest thing I've ever done. And... I have an editor, Kim, who is I I respect her. Oh, I mean, she'll give me a big hairdryer thing at times. She did once, <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, no, you know, she's right. Everything she's saying is right, and so I'm not scared of her anymore. And she's fantastic. She's been generous, and an editor, an editor, just sort of keeps putting you back on the rails when you come off. And then gives you hints about mm. where things should go. So I'm looking around to see where. It, I I don't even have a manuscript because of course it's all in this laptop. But um, it's it's coming on. It's coming on. Yeah, I'm pleased with it. And then of course you think, oh, I mustn't be pleased with it because that's going to jinx it.
4: No, no, don't say that. And actually, before we move on to my final question, you're not going to say it, so I'm going to say it for you. You're not just a little bit good at writing books. You're very good. There's no way a publisher would enable you and spend money on creating fantastic novels with marketing campaigns were you not A, selling lots of books and B, very good fun, Britain. So just tell yourself how fabulous you are.
1: Oh, Kate. Well, Thank you.
4: Okay, my third and final question yes. for you it's an expression that actually you've naturally used quite a lot in our in our, our chat on the last question as a writer, you are literally making it up as you go along, but I wondered when in life have you been in a situation where that 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 term actually really does apply where you just go seriously you can make it up
1: <laughs> yes, I do have one it's another working mother one, so <laughs> Yes. Okay. Where do I start? I have, it's a very rude, the rudest word you can think of in this. Would you like me to, am I allowed to say it? You can say it and we'll treat it accordingly. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Well, so this is my best working mum story. Okay. The boys were about seven at primary school. And as all children do, as we know, they don't tell you that there's an important day at school the next day until about nine o'clock the night before yeah mm-hmm. so they'd been bathed and scrubbed and in their gym jams and they were in bed and then suddenly they went, oh mama yes mom art uh, tomorrow is evacuees day nine o'clock the night before school they say to me oh they come back downstairs you know just as you're opening glass of wine and also i'm working the next morning on this morning and i have to get up at five so this is like a quick glass of wine into bed myself come downstairs mom yes it's evacuees day at school tomorrow Oh, okay. What does that mean? Well, we've got to dress in evacuee clothes and have an evacuees lunchbox. And so I'm already like meltdown, but keeping it in. Yeah. My mum's there and my mum says to me, um, well, you're going to have to wrap the sandwiches in greaseproof paper and it can't be, it can't be sliced bread. You've got to have bread that... I haven't got any bread. That's oh well. well do what you can. Uh, and I, so I'm trying to make up this uh, little lunch with grease root paper. I did have some of that, and then of course I put in an orange. No, no, no. We didn't see oranges till 1950. You know. Oh, God. so oh, take the God. orange out. So no crisps then, Mum. No, no crisps. Okay. No. Um, oh, and uh, they'll need a gas mask box around their neck. Just, just make a little box and put some string round it. And put it around. Mother, I have to do two because there's two of them. Two of everything. And it's now half past nine, and I'm going to be up at five, and the car comes at six. So I really have got to. Anyway. Went upstairs and found, thank goodness, um, they had a granny who knitted beautifully. So hand-knitted granny jumpers, their shorts, grey shorts, they'd sort of grown out of by then, but hey-ho, and everything. So I got into bed going, it's done. Got up the next morning, they're still asleep. I had a fantastic nanny called Super Sue. And Super (laughs) Sue arrives at just before six and I'm saying, bye bye Sue, it's evacuees day. Don't worry, everything's done. Lunch boxes in the fridge. The, the the everything's there. Sure. Okay, okay, that's fine. Bye. And I picked up Winifred, <laughs> who I was taking to work with me every day. So they've got little Winnie. I've already bath changed, fed her, well, not bath, but you know, changed her, cleaned her, fed her, get her in the car in her little seat, and she nods off for a bit, and then I'm reading the papers and reading the script and writing up my interviews. And reading all the research notes, you know, so that takes an hour and a half. And t- it was about a yeah. two-hour journey to get in for me to get in to work. Get into work, get Winnie out, get into the dressing room, feed Winnie again, um, sorta, la la la, do all the professional stuff. And the producer says to us, "Now then, we've got an actress from um, the vagina monologues coming in, um, and uh, she she does the." Um, well, she does the soliloquy called um reclaiming the C word. Can I say it? It's rude. It's called reclaiming cunt. And Yes, which is a poem or
4: still as you say, a soliloquy that starts the show, yeah. right?
1: And it's all about women taking that word back to us, for us. It's not a it's not just saying somebody's yeah. horrible. It's actually yeah. no, it's us. She must not say that word. Don't let yeah. her say that word. She'll be absolutely briefed, says the producer, not to say that word. Okay. All right. Fine. So let me move on. A couple more items. Another item. Oh, and we have um, a pair of people in who design fantastic vibrators, but we're not allowed to say vibrator or clitoral stimulation. We can only say they're sex toys. Uh, and that's it. Uh, okay. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Finally, yeah. get into the studio. Off we go. Actress comes in and immediately says yeah i do uh, reclaiming cunt and the paper the next day said the presenters appeared not to notice it was john and i and we just were hmm. like <laughs> then along comes sex toys who immediately starts talking about how it works on your clitoris immediately so okay oh <laughs> and then i realized as I was ready to leave the studio, oh shit, I'm going to do the Daily Mail, hand over a National Health Service, Pride of the National Health Service award that the Daily Mail run. And I've got to get to a hotel in Kensington and I've got Winnie and oh, so lovely driver I have with me for my entire 10 years, Tony, he took me to the hotel. I get up with like, I'm late already. 15, 20 minutes late. I have the baby under my arm. I run in, say to the receptionist, I've come for that. Thing. Yes, yes, up the stairs, second on the right, down the long corridor, through the door. Thank you, thank you. Upstairs, open the doors to find the entire room sitting there, turning around and looking at me. A man on the stage saying, And here she is now, Fern Britain. <laughs> so, <laughs> um a lovely um lynn Wood was sitting there and she said give me the baby Aww. give me the baby so i gave her the baby and then i went up <laughs> no time to do anything went up and they went hello how lovely to see you and um please firm it's all yours there's the microphone going oh i didn't have my glasses on So I couldn't read the piece of paper. Oh, no, I hadn't even got a piece of paper at that stage. So I went, I, blagging, blagging, thinking I'll remember something in a minute. No, nothing. And then I said (laughs) to the man, I'm so sorry, I have forgotten uh, the piece of paper. So he gave me the piece of paper and I went... Oh, no, I can't read it because I haven't got my glasses on. I, I, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. And I was sweating, sweating. And all these National Health Service heroes sitting there waiting <laughs> to receive an award. Uh, uh, and then finally, I, I was I just uh, got the name, got the thing. The man had to whisper it to me. It's da And she's winning it for blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay. Finally, I said it. This lady came up. Desperately overcompensating. Oh, you're wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Photo, photo, photo. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I felt like an absolute toad. Finally, got off the stage. Linda Lee Potter stops me. Remember, the columnist from the Daily Mail? Quite scary. Had often written, yes, yes, had often written rather snipily about me. And she said, come here and sit next to me. Suddenly yeah. I was on this lunch table sitting next to Linda, who was actually very sweet in real life. And the, Lynn Falswood delivered me Winnie. <laughs> so I'm going, oh, 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 not uh, just sweating. Anyway, I managed to blag it. I said, I'm so sorry, I can't stay for lunch. I really have to go. Phew. Got out of the room with Winnie, went down the stairs. Oh, there was Tony outside with the car. He jumped out of the car. He helped me into the car with Winnie. we got her in her car seat. And I sat down and thought, oh, that was a nightmare. But I think I've got away with it. And then my phone rang and it was super Sue, the nanny. So I went, hi, Sue, you are all right? She said, yeah, you do know it wasn't evacuee day today, do you? I took the children to school. They looked like bloody idiots. I had to take them home again and get them changed. I just thought... <laughs> I mean that's grim, isn't it? I was just, excuse me, but I was no, just I mean- a fucking idiot the whole day, and that and that and it wasn't my fault necessarily, <laughs> apart from the fact that I couldn't read and I hadn't got the right piece of paper. But you just, oh, the good thing about the day was that we had Michael Bublé on the show as well, and he's adorable, I'm just funny, mm. adorable, rude, naughty, everything you want and he got up to go and I said I wish you could stay and do the rest of the show and he said oh yeah me too and I said because we are doing clitoral stimulation a minute a minute, a minute leave he went, <laughs> I'm a man <laughs> <laughs> so that was joyful but the rest of it I've got one more story to tell you briefly this is out of nothing this is talking about Go on, I love it. No, right, keep going. We're talking about mental health, right? So um, when I had the boys, I had terrible, terrible mm. postnatal depression, which was pretty grim. And then uh, when I was uh, expecting Grace, the doctor said, mm, as soon as she's born, I think we'll get you straight into uh, to see a specialist psychiatrist who will talk to you and make certain that you don't have the same experience as you have with the boys. I said, good idea. So the day came that we have the appointment and my husband and I went to the hospital and we waited outside for this very special person uh, to come out of their office and call us in. And a different person opened the door and called us in and said, oh, yes, so-and-so's off on holiday and I'm the locum. I thought, oh, anyway, sat down and um, she went through everything. Tell me about your childhood. (laughs) So I went through the childhood and she said, mm-hmm, and we went through and how do you feel about your children? And what was it like when you had the personal depression with the boys? and blah, 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 blah. And then she said, tell me, do you hear voices? And I said, no. She said, mm-hmm. When you're watching television, do you think they're talking to you? I said, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When you're walking about, perhaps at the shops, do you think people are pointing at you and saying your name? <laughs> yes, because they do. They go, oh, hi, it's Fern. Because they are. <laughs> hey, Fern, how are you? <laughs> hi. Oh, look, it's all whats a face you see. And then she went, mm. And I said, no, 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 they do. They really, really do. She went, mm-hmm. And she had me down as a psychotic <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I was going to be <laughs> locked up. And my GP went, oh, for fuck's sake. And rang up the hospital and said, no. <laughs> no, she's fine.
4: No, people do say her name in the yes. shops. She isn't hearing no. voices. I mean, I was on television And yes, every everyone day. is talking about yes. her. <laughs> isn't that great? It's funny, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're so heightened to it. And then you become numb to it. But then the moment I had Ben... I became very alive yeah. to it again just because of him, really. I just, I was just, I just, I just didn't want him to have, you know, yeah. it's like, why, why does everyone come home and talk to my mum at monkey music? You know, it's, you know, you just, you don't, it's at those points you just want to be one of the crowd. And of course, you can't turn it on and off. I get people's curiosity. Yeah. I mean, but, um, yes, yeah, it's lovely. in those moments, it, I, just, I don't
1: mind it yeah. at all. It's lovely. Uh, it embarrasses me, but it's fine. And, um, I didn't like it though when people would get in front of me. Uh, between the children and me you know and you're trying to hang on to four kids yeah. going, excuse me yeah. just hang on and they're right in your face go no hang on my children are near the road that would that would bother me but apart from that uh it's people are very nice very very nice i'm happy and don't take don't they really take are actually they, you know they do yeah. sneaky pictures go, no come here let's have a
4: picture it's fine. Uh, but Fen, thank you so much. It really has been wonderful talking to you. Continued success with the Watercolour Challenge. Uh, your 10th your novel is out this summer. For those of you that haven't had a chance to read any of Fern's books, they're beautiful. Uh, they're all set in, in the gorgeous county of Cornwall. And I would heartily recommend them. You've see. got 10 to choose from. Well, nine with the 10th on thank its way. Thank
1: you so
4: much. Thank so so you. Thank
1: you.
4: My huge thanks to Fern, Britton, and you can catch her every day on Channel 5 presenting Watercolour Challenge, or if you're a bit of a bookworm, why not dive into her back catalogue of incredible novels. If you've loved listening to this episode, then there's plenty more great chat with other phenomenal leading ladies of the small screen. Our back catalogue features episodes with the likes of Ruth Langsford, Lorraine Kelly, Andrea McLean, Ulrika Johnson, Arlene Phillips, Charlene White, Gabby Roslin, Anita Rani, and Emma Willis to name but a few as always white one question time is produced by me kate thornton with ben robbins for yahoo uk and editing is by eleanor humphrey our music as always is from andy bell we'll be back next week with more great guests until then thank you for listening
3: planning for your next trip